0: Salaam guys, I'm Mossin. Welcome to this episode of Millionaire Muslim. Before we get into this episode, we just wanted to spend a few seconds telling you about Islamic Finance Guru or IFG for short. Mossin and I co founded IFG in 2015 because we couldn't find content about personal finance and Islamic finance for Muslims like you and I. Nowadays, Alhamdulillah, we reach an audience of hundreds of thousands and our goal is to keep providing great content. To help you guys. So if you're looking for halal investments and in Islamic mortgages or startup funding, check us out at IslamicFinanceGuru.com. And if you want to get in touch with us directly, you can get me on Mossin at IslamicFinanceGuru.com and you can get Ibrahim on Ibrahim at IslamicFinanceGuru.com. Enjoy the episode. Looking for a different approach to money? Meet Gatehouse Bank, a Sharia compliant UK bank built for the modern world. We help home buyers to purchase or refinance their home, provide buy to let funding for landlords and offer award winning savings accounts. Wherever you're going, get there a different way. Get there with Gatehouse. To find out more, visit gatehousebank.com. Assalamu salamu and welcome to the Millionaire Muslim Podcast. You have Ibrahim Khan here, your host, and with me is a wonderful guest, Arfa, the founder of Muslimic Makers, which is a fantastic community, a digital community, but also an in-person community of Muslim techies, I guess, is probably a good way of putting it, who've done a great bit of work around building a community around this whole ecosystem, and I think adding a lot of value to the Muslim community, certainly in London, but actually in the UK wide as well. Welcome, Arfa.
1: Assalamu
0: It's a pleasure to have you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm a massive fan of all the work that you do. So, yeah, it's a real honor to be on your podcast.
0: Brilliant. So you're actually an East London girl, aren't you? Yeah,
1: I am. I still go by that, even though I don't quite live in East London anymore, though currently I'm at my mum's. So got married like a year and a half ago, so moved just outside of London near Slough. But I still always refer to myself as an East London girl. And if anything is referring to me as something, I always say I'm from Newham. That's my roots. It's where I think a lot of the ethos of things I've been through experiences that I've had that have shaped me so it's really hard to say i from anywhere else.
0: What kind of experiences do you think were like particularly important in shaping you?
1: Growing up specifically I think in East London you go to kind of state schools you come from families that don't necessarily have professional white collar type jobs so you're kind of really having to kind of figure it out and kind of hustle your way and make your networks and make those connections which is why I guess I'm so passionate about kind of communities and networking but I think ultimately for me it's these experiences of not having it laid out for me kind of make me super passionate I guess for like trying to make it easy for the next generation
0: definitely and then what was your kind of thinking before you went off to university and started your career what was the kind of driving force I guess for your decision making at that point
1: Yeah, so it's quite funny, actually. I guess my life used to be very, like, school, home, school, home. And then I started to dabble in, like, extracurricular activities, things like school council, youth groups. Honestly, they were, like, my Muslim Asian girl way of getting outside the house and having a bit of a life. (laughs) And so I used to get involved in, like, these community projects just to kind of, I guess, get out the area a bit, right, and see stuff obviously in and we obviously have the Olympics. So I got involved in a lot of kind of legacy work around the community. How do we make sure that the community is involved with what's being developed in Stratford? So those kind of random experiences, I think just kind of one really built my confidence to actually start building out networks. And then I think when it also just came to do in university, I mean, looking back, it's kind of funny, but I always wanted to be that like stereotype breaker, right? I don't want to go and do the usual career that everyone does, the lawyers, the bankers. I want you to do something different. And I think back then I was like, oh, I'm going to do interior design or I'm going to end up working in TV or media. But obviously life had a whole different set of plans for me. But yeah, I think I just always had this mentality of just trying to like break the norm.
0: Amazing. Over the kind of last five, 10 years, there have been more role models particularly for Muslim women coming into this kind of space but do you think that more needs to be done and if so
1: how do we do that? Yes it's an interesting question so I guess with Muslim makers specifically it definitely was born out of that frustrating need of not seeing ourselves represented back in the industries we worked in and I think role models honestly is one of the most important things I think Growing up, I would come across people with Muslim names or happen to be from a Muslim background, but they wouldn't really fall under the practicing bracket. So that used to always be a bit of a jarring experience because sometimes I'd come across really successful people, but they're not necessarily practicing, etc. And then you would always question yourself a bit because you'll be like, oh, does that mean I can't stick to my values or aspire to be a certain way? And that I remember growing up used to really frustrate me because... As a Muslim woman, you have to look at the bigger picture right at some point, you might get married, you'll have a husband, you'll have children, all that stuff, and then you think about your career, obviously in parallel to that, you think about okay having a sort of husband spouses, and stuff, and you just don't see it around you because you don't see it around you. I think it's frustrating trying to figure that out. I think now, I would definitely say five years kind of on and uh, make us five next March. I definitely see more of that. I definitely see now more people in these industries where we didn't find our people. We see them in the media. We see them in creativity fields. We see them in tech and they're actually practicing brothers and sisters. So I think there's definitely much more hope now for the next generation to see themselves represented, not just by, oh, this person has a Muslim name, but to see themselves actually back fully in the sense that this person prays, they don't give up their values. And they're successful in this world but also obviously aspiring for the next as well.
0: Yeah I can definitely empathise with that because you do see that quite a lot in the city as well where you have a lot of Muslims but mm. not necessarily many practicing ones and the practicing ones weirdly seem to end up without wanting to kind of sound elitist for example if you're working in a corporate law firm I would see that there weren't any Muslims as the lawyers but for some reason there was a lot of Muslims in the support staff or in the kind of the domain and that yeah. sort of thing and that's great and obviously I was good friends with those guys but it did also seem odd to me that the Muslims that there were in the lawyer levels they would all seem to be not that practicing or basically just be Muslim in name so yeah completely empathize with you on that side of things and I guess maybe this is a good point to start talking about your journey with Muslimic makers and setting that up perhaps if you like briefly give a bit of background as to how it came about but then also explain to our audience what exactly it is and how people can find it.
1: Yeah sure so I guess the bit of the backstory is at university I studied the media communication and in my final year of university I was unsure where I wanted to go and I came across a youth program for kind of people from disadvantaged backgrounds people from kind of areas that deprived boroughs like Newham etc and in a sense it was about trying to help us forge those connections, figure out our soft skills and develop our confidence. There are moments in your life that really change your life. And honestly, getting on this program was one of them because I was matched up with this amazing lady called Eugenie. She's now the head of social impact at Uber. And she set up this charity literally on her maternity leave. She was a teacher. She wanted to do some stuff and she used to work in inner city schools. Her herself was from a super privileged background, but she always wanted to do more. This was back in 2012, 13, right? You know how everybody right now is on Zoom and Google Hangouts? We were doing this back then. So this whole program was delivered online. It was- Yes, honestly, it's like innovation was right at the forefront. I think it was like every two weeks, we would have these kind of coaching calls. Then she would give us homework where we'd have to go away, watch a TED talk and think about different parts like resilience and all sorts of stuff. And it was a very small cohort. It was only like 15 or so of us in the beginning. But that program was so innovative. And back then, youth unemployment was actually at its most highest. And we wanted to think about how to scale it. So there were pots of money that was opening up. There was a grant by Design Council. There was some accelerators popping up. Wira Unlimited, which was by O2, Telefonica, and Unlimited is like a social impact company. And they came together. So honestly, my journey into tech was an accident because we took that program, thought about how we can scale it into some kind of website that kind of had the same kind of learnings and that led to co-founding discoverables and she just kind of set it up as a company put me and the other guys co-founder and then it was a bit like her at that point at the age of 22 right I didn't quite deep what that actually meant all of a sudden I found that I've co-founded a company with like two other people but It was just that belief, because for her, it was a co-creative process. Yes, she created this charity program, but off the back of it, we were thinking about scalability and tech for good and that stuff. That, for me, was just like those accidental moments in a sense that, led me to entering the technology world. I had a social media internship that didn't work out. It was a really bad period of my life. My uncle's passed away quite suddenly, and I found myself unemployed. And I was doing an admin job kind of in between. But while doing that, I was trying to figure out, okay, how can I get funding and grants to take this prototype that we've built from some funding that we had to the next level? God plans, right? And we got some funding, which allowed me to take a salary, and we were accepted onto an accelerator. Now I'm 23 years old and I'm in the height of like the beginning of the London tech scene. And I'm a brown Muslim and I'm a woman. So you can imagine back then what it was like, right? And you figure things out. And obviously we weren't quite business savvy. I had an incredible year in that accelerator. It was about nine months in that accelerator, where obviously built a lot of connections. I met a lot of people. And the one thing that always stuck out to me was I would go to pitching events, I'd go to tech events, and I would honestly be like the only one in that room. And you're like the other of the other of the other. Like you're a woman, you're Muslim, you're brown, and I'm young, right? I was 23. So there was so much kind of imposter syndrome. I used to kind of feel through that startup anyways didn't work out and it's quite funny why it didn't work out because one day i was working from home and i was like oh how does tax work and i checked it out and realized we never pay ye so like everybody Yeah, so we realised our runway was up. Eugenie realised that was her fault as well. She never accounted for that. She kind of took on responsibility for that. But that obviously meant we had to kind of wrap up the company. And at that point, we were pivoting and we weren't sure what we were doing, to be honest. I then worked at a coding boot camp called Makers Academy.
0: Just before you go to the boot camp, yeah. what do you think in retrospect are the kind of big two or three lessons that you learned from that experience of failed startup and what you wish you would have perhaps you could have told your younger self?
1: Yeah, so I think the first one obviously is the important legal aspects of things, right? Actually understanding the responsibilities of these things. Like I said, at the age of 23, I was like, oh cool, I'm a director of a company, but I didn't realize the responsibilities of that. And it kind of came out afterwards when the tax stuff happened and not being aware of the tax implications All the boring admin stuff, honestly, that you can get so caught up in a product and the hype. But honestly, to be a responsible CEO, founder, you've got to look after the stuff that nobody wants to do. And that's the stuff that's going to keep your company tight. That's the stuff that's not going to make you fold your company because you didn't pay the tax, man. And that's why now... People say, so Muslim Makers is not set up as a company. It's not a limited company. It's nothing. And people always say to me, what do you mean it's nothing? And I got, I actually don't want the responsibilities right now. I can make it work. It works. But the moment I know I need to get grants or I want to go full time on it or I want to figure it out, at that point, I'll take on the responsibility. I could have created a Muslim Makers company, but there was no need for it. Yeah. So that, for me, I think was actually kind of a lesson in a sense that I now obviously have applied where I'm like, I'm not going to take on a legal responsibility of a company until I have to. Right. Yeah. Those, I think, were definitely kind of like, yeah, big lessons, big, big lessons.
0: For sure. That sounds really, really fascinating. So you went off to join a coding boot camp thereafter.
1: Yes. Yeah, so and now I'm what? 24 25 and yeah that honestly was a really good experience I joined a startup that was like one years old I was employee number 13 and now they're probably at 50 or 60 employees so I joined them super early on and I was working very closely with the marketing directors kind of heading up their marketing so I was there for I believe two years actually I really saw that company go from one small tiny office to like a really big office where they were able to double the amount of students and that experience again I think at Makers really shaped that whole diversity narrative and the story because we did a lot of work about getting more women into tech and the course was very expensive it's 8,000 pounds so in doing that obviously you miss out a lot of other diversity spectrums you miss out people that come from different social economic backgrounds and Yeah, so I think that in a sense really was kind of then got to the point of the birth of Muslim makers because I was approached by A guy on Twitter, Murtaza, had seen all my work before that I'd done with Discoverables and the startup, and he knew I was in the scene. He worked as a UX designer, and he just said, hey, I've got this idea, pitched it to me. And I was like, oh, that's really funny. I had the same idea two years ago, but I thought it would be like two people in a coffee shop. So I didn't obviously do anything with it. And I always tell that story because I think it's very important to share ideas, specifically in our Muslim community. We're very precious of our ideas and we think oh so-and-so is going to copy us or brav sign this NDA first that's just not how it works right it's about execution I'm sure you've probably experienced stuff like that yourself so yeah yeah exactly right but yeah so anyway sharing that idea obviously birthed the community I worked at Makers at the time I had access to a venue space I literally I think like two weekends before met a Muslim tech entrepreneur who had been through an accelerator who was doing some raising and funding and I was like great I have a speaker let's just do an event and see and 50 people mashallah turned up we advertised it on all the kind of the usual Muslim professional networks the meetup scene etc 50 people turned up got super positive feedback and me and Murtaza were like oh wow we're actually onto something and consistency honestly is so important when it comes to things like this and especially in our first year or two we nearly did an event like every two months all sorts of events in conversations with entrepreneurs, tech for good, diversity in fintech. And tech companies were starting to listen in the sense where they were offering us free venue spaces, they were sponsoring our food and drinks. So our events were completely obviously held free for the community. And that consistency grew the community, and now four years later, we've done over probably twenty-five or so events with a range of different tech companies. We've hosted events at Google for Startups, TransferVise, Us Two, and these are like big kind of tech companies. ThoughtWorks. We've probably had nearly one thousand five hundred or so people that have come to our events, and we've got an online thriving community of four hundred people on our Slack channel. So. Yeah, MM's been, honestly, a very beautiful journey. It's been full of a lot of burqa for me. I've met a lot of friends through it, a lot of amazing, incredible people. That kind of, honestly, led to Muslim Makers. And in a nutshell, Muslim Makers is a community of Muslim change makers working in and around the technology scene. Started here in London, but we do have people across the UK and even across the world in our Slack community.
0: It's amazing. Honestly, couldn't recommend you guys more to anyone who's looking to get into the tech world or the startup scene and what have you. if I wanted to ask you two questions that I think you'll be uniquely placed to answer. One is that you've actually successfully, I guess, sold into some large companies, right? To do events with them or for them or collaborating with them requires a little bit of skill. And I'd love to hear how those events came about and how you managed to kind of convince them and get them over the line because sometimes selling something called muslimic makers isn't actually straightforward especially in this kind of secular world that we live in yeah so i'd love to hear that and then perhaps we can talk about community building after that
1: yeah sure i think it's interesting what you're saying so i would love to say and be like oh it was a hard sell and i had to think it but honestly it was easy and i'll tell you why it was easy personal brand and I mean this in the nicest of ways like a non-arrogant way I guess because of a lot of the work I do I have quite a personal brand and when I obviously was working at Makers Academy I had met a lot of companies through them as well and the one thing was that when you hosted an event at one place then their competition would get in touch so I remember we held an event at TransferWise and then World Remake got in touch so honestly a lot of the time we've had like these requests they've all been inbound requests I have never really actively gone out of my way to like find a partnership they're just people that have read about us heard about us big companies that are looking to obviously diversify their pipeline and I always used to say especially in that first second year obviously there's still a bit of negotiation and you're trying to get them over the line but my biggest sell was to them I go look we're going to bring a whole bunch of people like so many people from different backgrounds from a Muslim background into your workplace you've never probably had that many amount of people in your workplace and for them that was the thing because I always used to call it a bit of like a field trip of the London tech scene for the Muslim community because each event was always like a different company and then all of a sudden people were exposed the tech industry obviously has a lot of bad prayers, but personally, with my dealings with Muslim makers and trying to do these events in their places, it's honestly been very kind of open-arm responses. They want to help, they want to support, they know we're doing it for our community and they want to see how they can use their power and privilege to help us. A lot of people shy away, and a lot of people will be like, why is it called Muslimic makers? And we did a CV event recently, and people were asking about, oh, do you hide things like any Muslim projects you've been involved from in your CV? And my first thing, no, like don't ever shy away from stuff like that. And people really respect it, having your values to your core. And when we've had companies ask to collaborate with us, we've been very like, okay, we want no alcohol, we need to pray a prayer space in the corner because hey, it's gonna be Maghreb Asa time or whatever. We've been very thorough in the sense like these are kind of our core principles. And if you're gonna collaborate with us, these are the rules. Like I said, most of the time they're like, yep, that's fine. You hold the power because they're struggling on this whole diversity and inclusion thing. So yeah, it's definitely more easier. And I think obviously over time you build those relationships. I remember we hosted the hackathon and I needed to actually this time round secure money sponsorship because a lot of the time sponsorship was in events and food. But this time now I actually needed money to cover the food for the weekend and pay like a videographer and photographer. And I was just going to approach our previous sponsors and just split it up by £500 pounds and then... I reached out to Ada Ventures, Diversity VC, and they just turned around and were like, here you go, actually, you know what, here's a sponsorship of two grand for the weekend. It was more easy than I thought it was. (laughs) So I think good relationships and keeping those relationships alive and taking it on personally as well, adding those people onto LinkedIn later or following them on Twitter, those little things always bring you up in the front of people's minds so when those opportunities present themselves those people reach out to you so that's kind of it been quite easy i guess alhamdulillah
0: alhamdulillah i wish whenever i sent an email to people they sent me two thousand pounds back that must be some (laughs) epic email writing skills that you have (laughs) arfa you're a serial community builder how should one go about doing that and what is a community even
1: what is a community so i think Ultimately, a community could be a group of people around a specific thing, it could be a specific interest, it could be a specific place like your mosque, or the area you live in, it could be around an action like climate change, it's people in a sense that come together to form a sense of belonging to achieve something or a specific outcome. Mzammut Makers in a sense was the first community I co-founded but if I look back on my childhood and teenage years I was doing school council and youth clubs and when I was a spotty teenager on MSN I was on the internet Asian forums on these like oh, communities yeah. I was on these communities and if you've been part of them you probably remember all the dramas that came with it too.
0: <laughs> MSN age yeah I, I, I was well into giving that word to people as kind of forward away as I possibly could so I used to kind of randomly tag team my cousin oh casually just adding my cousin into a conversation with someone from school and then the conversation would dramatically turn towards why the world was created (laughs) and then we would and then we would just like not so subtly give that one but yeah for some reason I didn't really have much of a conversion rate on that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well <Wow. laughs> the point is all these things were communities, right? They're all senses of communities, especially when there's people that know each other, there's acquaintances, there's email chains and there's internet forums where there's a whole load of people and stuff. Looking back now, I'm like, wow, I was always doing this. It wasn't called something. Well, Mozambique makers came and that obviously came from my own personal need. I think that's the key thing, that if you are looking to set up a community, one, see if there's something out there already because it's hard to start a community. So it's better to piggyback off an existing one. And if there isn't, then yes, of course, you can start it. And ultimately, Muslim makers the user need for it was to solve for minor Murtaz's need, which was, hey, we don't see ourselves represented back and we just want to meet other cool Muslims like us. So I think they definitely were the needs. And it was the same thing of when I started in my day job, government digital services, I went in and there wasn't a Muslim network. And I was like, right, what do I do now? And then I knew one, two Muslims working there, got talking to them and then kind of set up the Muslim community there. So I think it just comes from that sense of, Need and stuff. So, yeah. What was the other question that you said?
0: So, I think it sounds like it comes naturally to you to build community. It might be quite difficult for you to be able to effectively pinpoint what the constituent parts are. But why don't we have a try anyway? Because you're probably the best person to ask this sort of thing in any case. And maybe it's a case of looking back and thinking about what was successful about Muslimic Makers, what people have liked about it, and how you've kind of tried to promote that aspect of it
1: yeah sure I guess ultimately if we think about kind of I guess the ingredients that are kind of needed for kind of building a community I think obviously that strong purpose of values so obviously for Muslim makers that purpose specifically was about role models it was about meeting other Muslims like us and obviously the value ultimately was around our identity was having that safe space where we feel like we can be fully muslim and not feel like we have to hide and shy away consistency i mentioned that earlier in the beginning we did like loads of events you kind of have to stick to something i would say collaboration over competition i think our generation is much better at that but the uncle auntie g generation for them it was always more of a competition and actually thinking how we can collaborate so we've got yeah. Islamic makers but recently we had dean developers set up by a brother called Ibrahim and the first time it kind of came along I was like oh it seems like was makers but actually you're like no hold on it's slightly different and you know what we could work together and we did we put on a hackathon together they brought in their kind of technical development network and we brought in all our experiences of working with tech companies and having all the non-technical people interested in tech and stuff so I think collaboration is super important when it comes to kind of community building and really trying to see that bigger picture yeah. and take it back to your intention really kind of renewing your intention and being like why am i doing this and trying to just hone and ground yourself around that i think is really important especially when it comes to community work because you're not necessarily doing it for fame or money
0: yeah you're doing
1: it just because you want to and you feel like the community needs it and you get paid back in barka and also in other ways but sometimes you kind of need to constantly remind yourself that as well when it sometimes does get a bit frustrating or etc as well
0: that's fascinating, yeah. the whole Dean Developers aspect. Yeah, and I, It's interesting, perhaps, for all sorts of organisations, charities, businesses who come across new entrants into the market, so to speak. And this is, again, putting you on the spot. What do you think are the kind of things one should think about when thinking, can we work together with someone or not? You won't always want to work with someone, yeah. but there might be times when you do want to. Perhaps let's have a think around... What are those criteria?
1: I think it's about mapping out your values, if your values align. So when Dean developers sprung up, their specific thing was about using the skills that they have for hair is kind of their tagline. It was very aligned to Mozambique makers. Mozambique makers kind of had a very kind of similar ethos. It was about helping the community, supporting them, upskilling them. So it felt like a good partnership in that sense. And to kind of approach them and be like, you know what, Mashallah, you guys are doing great it's so good that you guys have done a hackathon funny we wanted to do a hackathon three four years ago but we've just never had the capacity or got around to doing it hey the next time you do one why don't we collaborate and then it's that thing of yes there was something with summit makers wanted to do never got around to doing it hey somebody else came along and did it but next time why don't we collaborate on it because we've got some ideas too and we feel like we can add value So I think really kind of matching those values, I think, is really important. And, yeah, people come along. And the one thing I would say to myself is, I guess, with these things, there is always a constant battle of nafs as well. Like you are having to always, again, like I said, renew your intention and stuff. But the one thing I will say is, Mzamek Makers, Alhamdulillah, came across four years ago and now has created space for all these communities to come and feel like they can belong. That's a win for us. The fact that we did this four years ago has meant that all these other people feel empowered to do their thing, to build their communities around their niche or whatever it is. So that's a win. And that's great, alhamdulillah, for that. That's a great win for the community. That's a great win for the Ummah. And I think, yeah, value mapping is super important when it comes to trying to work with people and trying to figure out if it's a useful collaboration, and also figuring out what can I add and what can they add. And trying to kind of get that mix of skill set.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great shout. And Arafa, what are you guys planning next with Muslim makers? I know that you've got this Digital Careers Kickstarter program and what else can people look out for from Muslim makers?
1: Yeah, sure. So COVID has been, I guess, an interesting time for Make makers. It's kind of allowed us to step back a bit and stop running from one event to another. It's kind of allowed us to think about the bigger picture. And for me, I feel like the last four years, we've built this amazing community of professionals. And actually, these people are like now ready to give back. So a lot of the things I think that we're now creating, and especially this year has been really focused around the upskilling aspect. So we've got two things on there right now. So the Digital Careers Kickstarter program closes on the Sunday the 31st so it might be a bit too late by the time this podcast goes out however it is a pilot so we hope to do it in the future that simply comes out from the fact that especially during COVID people have been made redundant they've lost their jobs the university students who have lost their placements internships all sorts of things have been happening so our community has been impacted in obviously kind of a financial aspect but also from the whole kind of illness aspects all that stuff's been happening with the kickstarter program from all my experience of doing it makers working in the scene the thing that i've realized it's we don't know what's out there the jobs of today didn't exist yesterday and those jobs because we don't understand it our parents are not in it we don't have friends that work in it people just want to understand so the program has three layers. The first layer is there's workshops. So they'll be introduced to like user research or product or prototyping. There's a second layer, which is we have a few tasks set by businesses so they can practice the thing. And the third layer is they match with the coach who they meet with another participant twice a month. Because I feel like that confidence building is a real important thing that often is missed in our community. And building that confidence and learning to sell yourself and really understanding and reflecting on your learning is are really super important things this program is four months it could have easily been delivered over a weekend but then it wouldn't have had all that development and that soft skill stuff so yeah I'm really looking forward to the pilot kicking off we've had a good amount of coaches apply so I've kind of upped the number from 25 to 35 people I've kept it open in terms of the types of people I'm getting I'm getting various demographics, students, single moms, people at different stages of their careers, because what I'm trying to do is I'm running it as an experiment because I'm trying to understand where I can have the most impact so that the next time I run it, and I guess this comes to do with anything to do with digital or product, it's all about iteration. I'll actually then be able to know, okay, Next time, this is the area I want to focus on. This is what I want to do. And then also on the Muslim Makers website, there's a tool called Find a Muslim Mentor. We have about 50 people on there. Anyone can just go onto that tool from the MuslimMakers.com website. It's a list of people in our community who have made their calendars open through a Calendly link and you can read their profiles and just book in a chat with them. Whatever it is that you wanna learn about, or you wanna learn about a specific career, there might be like somebody on there basically willing to have a chat with you. And we obviously have our that community. So in terms of what's next, like I said, I think it's about the next generation for me now. Events are great. They're like the staple of what we do. They're the thing that Mozambique makers are known for, but I just know there's more we can do. It's just trying to balance that all with having a day job and a life and family and everything else that comes with it. That's the tricky part.
0: I can imagine. I mean, I think it's a fantastic program because for us, our mission at IFG is we want to help Muslims get economically better off because it solves a host of issues. And I was just thinking about the two planks that we have. One is help Muslims with their personal finances and just really give them that content and education they need to feel confident and make the right decisions. And then the other one is helping Muslim entrepreneurs to crack on and become the next big things. But then actually, I was thinking that there's a third bit, which we haven't really touched upon at all, which I think is also a massive way to move the needle for Muslims, is upskilling them from an employment perspective, which is why I think what you guys are doing is absolutely brilliant and really to be celebrated. And I'm interested, actually, if you've done a bit more thinking around this in your downtime with COVID on how we can, as a community, really develop this aspect of becoming upskilled as employees and where you maybe think that the economy or the kind of landscape
1: of employment is headed? Yeah so I think that's a really interesting question so I think the most important thing is actually there's often a kind of misunderstanding where people think everybody needs to be a coder and I always say that's not the case everybody should be tech literate so you should be able to understand the language or be kind of that in-between person between a technical person or a non-technical person because things are being automated make a joke about Asian families and lawyers and I always say families might be pushing their kids into law and stuff but I might not want their kid to go into tech but then actually a lawyer's job isn't safe anymore isn't safe from automation and all sorts of other things there are lots of stuff that's happening that will make a lot of these careers that traditionally as kind of coming from this background people thought were safe. Tech industry is completely shaking that up and what I also say to people is if they're looking to come into the tech industry think about your background so if you're a teacher could you look to go into an ed tech startup or could you look at learning or online self-learning or something like that so what I always say to people is it's more easier to make the jump than you think it is you just kind of have to think about and that's the one thing especially at makers and why a lot of our makers graduates were really kind of high sought after because you had like somebody from a banking career who did a technical career who did the course and then all of a sudden a fintech startup really wanted them because they understood the context but they had the development side so being fully rounded is really important and kind of look up kind of future skills specifically around adaptability and kind of flexibility and being a constant learner I think you have to be constantly be ready gone are the days of being in the same job for like the next 50 years of your life that does not happen now you're going to have to shape shift you're going to have to change and as a community we need to be ready for that and we need to actually educate our young people But also the older generation who might not quite get it, who might still be forcing their kids to go into careers that they think are safe, you kind of have to do it from both angles. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree with you on that. I also think that there's a real kind of scope here for the forgotten communities of the UK, especially in the Northwest, where there's a lot of Muslims, Mm. to just be able to reach out to a completely different job market to where they are like I'm not sure that Blackburn or Preston or somewhere or Blackpool all of these by the way places that I know quite well are thriving by any stretch of the imagination in terms of the job market I mean I know Blackpool very well because my parents recently moved there but with the internet and with this kind of digital upskilling you can be working for a company out in I don't know Canada if you like sat in Blackpool
1: and I think Covid if anything now everything is much more competitive i would say because companies have woken up to the fact that remote first that they can access a talent pool around the world so if anything we all need to step up because that's the reality and in government right now where i work they're also doing a thing where they're trying to grow outside of london so they're thinking about a hub in manchester and a hub in bristol and there's still arguments around oh it should just be fully remote etc but it's a step in the right direction because One of my, i on the Mzamit Makers team, Yasmin, she's based in Manchester. She's super talented and stuff, but she's always saying to me, oh man, all the best jobs are in London. So I think now COVID and the whole remote first and a lot of companies going remote first, there's definitely going to be a lot more competition for these roles. However, on the flip side, there's now a lot more opportunity if you are in those areas where those industries don't exist. So yeah, I think definitely just stay, stay on the ball, really.
0: Amazing. Really good advice. Arfa I'm aware that we should probably not stay too long and you know make your husband upset with me or something on like yeah. those lines.
1: He's not here yet I'm at my mom's he's due to come in two hours though so <laughs> but yes we could go on forever but I'm sure the listeners might go a bit too long.
0: <laughs> no it's an absolute pleasure to have you here and JazakAllah Khair once again and I wish you all the best with Muslimic Makers and long may it continue.
1: Yeah, no, JazakAllah Khair for, yeah, having me as a guest. I absolutely love talking about stuff like this. And I think if I could just give some last advice, I would just say my journey has been so random and it's led to amazing things happening. And you've just always got to trust that journey and always just be open-minded to things. And yeah, that's what I'll just say to the listeners, for sure.
0: Great advice to end with. JazakAllah Khair Arfa, it's been a pleasure. Assalamu alaikum. Wa salam if you got this far, you must have enjoyed the podcast, which means you'll definitely love our other episodes and other content we produce as well, inshallah. Be sure to check out the website, islamicfinanceguru.com, as well as our YouTube channel and social media. Until next time, alaikum.